0: Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. In this series, Simon Barrington and Johnny Abbott are joined each week by emerging leaders from the millennial generation. Today, our guest is Harry Pinder. Harry's been a champion for the voice of young people being heard in global advocacy since the age of 15, and recently received the Queen's Young Leader Award for services to young people in the Commonwealth.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Forge Leadership Podcast. We are here today with Harry Pinder. Hey, welcome, Harry. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, not too bad. Uh, Harry, so excited for today, going through uh, everything that you've done and what you're doing at the moment. Really exciting. So we're going to jump uh, straight into the questions. Uh, Harry, tell us a little bit about what you do uh, and who you are.
2: Great. Uh, so, yeah, so my name is Harry Pinder. Um, I'm from uh, Croydon in London which, um again, you know, wherever you are um, listening, it's one of the greatest places uh, in England, <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I've dedicated my life to public service, uh, to government, to better government and good government, because I believe God believes in good government. Mm. Um, and actually, um, I guess the way that I fell into this is because I just got sort of frustrated or angry about things. So I'll never forget the way that I got involved in politics was, um, I had a citizenship teacher who um, in in high school, and she mm-hmm. was amazing. She was really young, really dynamic, and um, and I remember the first time we had citizenship, and she put a question on the board, and it said, "If you were a different religion, would you be the same person?" And this was the first time in sort mm-hmm. of a class environment that I actually got to think about something rather than sort of rehearse and you know like like memorize stuff like I got to think and my mm-hmm. my p- opinion was valued in some sense and you know that transformed into debating on the Iraq war on the death penalty and whether we should have it or not and every sort of class was so interesting and I thought okay great I would love to be involved in whatever this is so that's mm-hmm. that's literally how a lot of uh, my um my passion for politics started. And, and essentially, so I now so I now work in UK, the UK government. So I work at the Home Office at the moment, Um, I'm working on that elusive thing called Brexit, which um, (laughs) is, um, again, uh, I'm sure even even listeners on the on the podcast are so sick of hearing about, but um, it is exciting, probably one of the most unprecedented times a government has had to face. Um, and yeah, so, and I also, so that's sort of my nine to five, that's what I call it. And my five to nine, which is, you know, the thing I do <laughs> when I get home <laughs> is, um, is I run something called youth for change. So youth for change is a global youth advocacy organization that essentially, uh, gets young people to write policy, but policy on issues that affect them. Um, and, and again, that literally started because I was frustrated about, you know, young people being sort of used as very tokenistic, especially, uh, delivering speeches and, and and actually a lot of the sort of uh, rhetoric was oh great you have so much energy but I don't really care about your ideas and that frustrated <laughs> me so so that's why I started youth for change and sort of that's what I do yeah
1: fantastic hey tell you what that's um so much to dig into there with yeah. about Brexit and everything else. This podcast will be going out, I imagine, sometimes around March and April. Lovely. As we've got to bear in mind that by then, Brexit will be a distant memory. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, all we all hope, hope
1: so. We all hope so. <laughs> um, so. So bring us back uh, to yep. 2009, uh, and you were selected to be part of the UK delegation to the G8 in Italy. Correct. And now, uh, I, I was, I've read that in your bio, and my immediate question is... Uh, <laughs> How does that
2: happen? How did you manage to get that? Yeah, so um, again, you know, all those crazy debates in our uh, citizenship class uh, sort of happening. And just a prelude to that, you know, before this, this was religious studies. So this was the lesson that you would, you know, throw papers and, you know, like, (laughs) you know, take a nap in. And actually, it was quite exciting for us. And one of my friends came into our class one day and said, hey, guys, like, I've just seen this amazing opportunity. And it's on Channel Channel 4 News. And she'd just seen it. And it said, oh, you get to, go to, get, to, get to go to Italy, meet Gordon Brown. And so obviously at the time, you know, obviously we knew Gordon Brown was prime minister. And we were like, oh, great, that sounds really interesting. So we decided to form a group. It was about four of us uh, who decided to come together and actually enter the competition. And it was called the J8. So it was the junior version of the G 8 summit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, so, and, and so obviously, you know, we, we believed in ourselves. And, you know, like I went to a teacher. I her to be our chaperone. And But what was really interesting was the amount of uh, pushback that we got from teachers, the amount of pushback that we got from students who said, look, like, you guys are from a local school in Croydon. And, you know, like, to, to paint the picture, you know, my school wasn't, you know, it was a uh, rough around the edges, if I can put it that way. <laughs> um <laughs> It was, um, it was a school which was a huge melting pot of people from so many different cultures. And of course, it had its problems with gangs and drugs or, or, or violence and all these different things. But it wasn't completely ridden with that. And actually, the teachers there were um, so resilient uh, mm. to, to, to make sure that we we got, we got an education. So I guess for us, we were so surprised that people were so negative about it. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we decided to enter this competition and we had to sort of enter this long application form out of 400 groups um, sort of across the UK 10 were picked as sort of the shortlist and so we were over the moon by the fact that we got picked uh, to be part of the shortlist and mm-hmm. so we went to my head teacher and said hey you know uh, you know we've got this really amazing competition we need the day off for it and even he was in sort of disbelief in the fact that we actually <laughs> thought we actually thought that we could win and you know so anyway so we managed to get the day off we get to UNICEF UK. So that's where the sort of assessment center was being held. And, and we're the only school there who are, who are uh, uh, normal school. So everyone else was sort of from grammar or private schools. And we're also the only people of color there. So again, that was my first, um, I guess, experience of being the odd one out in a lot of senses. Um, and and yeah, so we went through the whole assessment center day, and it was absolutely amazing. Like so many, you know, it was so interesting, especially so many people uh, who got to come to speak to us, and um, and we were picked, and that's sort of the way Aww. that that happened. And <laughs> uh-huh. um, and again, you know, the it, 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 it sort of it, it was quite interesting because Channel Four decided to do a whole sort of series on us going, because again, you know, the UK delegation was, you know, a Zimbabwean guy, uh, a, a guy who's from Kurdistan, a girl who was mixed-race Caribbean, another girl who was Eritrean. So, you know, it was... Um, you know a very diverse group of, yeah. of of young people and we looked can i say we just look completely different to what the year before looked like
1: um
2: so so yeah that, that that's sort of how that came about and it was amazing because we got to obviously go to italy and meet the g8 leaders of the time uh so you know and that was in 2009 so you know Brack had just been um uh essentially he was i think he was in his first year at that point um mm-hmm. And, you know, Vladimir Putin, you know, all these people that you sort of hear and think about, but not really, you know, like ever dream of actually meeting. Um,
1: And so uh, five years later, 2014, uh, you ended up co-founding Youth for Change Global. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. So. Um, So Youth for Change just came out of a frustration of the way, essentially, that young people were being involved in politics and government. And essentially what sort of happened, you had the sort of... uh, uh, MYPs who were members of, of of Young Parliament and which which for me was a little bit tokenistic because a lot of the campaigns that they did um, were amazing and really great ideas but weren't being held in the main chamber and actually weren't being debated in the main chamber which for me just meant it was tokenistic and and then you had the sort of other experiences where I'd be invited to speak somewhere and sort of be given a speech and say okay great you know this is what you want to say and it wasn't my ideas or maybe what I actually thought um, so yeah it was me and four other young people, and and we partnered with the government to create something called the Girl Summit. And the Girl Summit was sort of a government's huge, um, sort of international conference on female genital mutilation and early forced marriage. Mm. And especially at that time, you know uh, that uh, that topic was very um, like it, it was stringent. There were so many people who wanted to do something about it. And um, and what the Secretary of State Justin Greening at the time wanted to do is have a youth part of that. So, um, so we created it and, um, and, and we created it and it was just supposed to be an event, Youth, Youth for Change started off, as was just supposed to be an event um, where we were able to train 600 young people from all across the world on actually how to make change in their society. And what was really interesting is that I think, you know, the, the summit went the summit went a lot bigger than what the government sort of entailed. And, you know, in terms of social media impact, in terms of the amount that, you know, governments actually committed at our fringe event that was supposed to be. Uh, and we sort of created an authentic movement rather than, you know, just a one stop event. And 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 it was incredible. And, you know, for me, definitely the hand of God was all over it, because, you know, after that, you know, we, we sort of got together and said, hey, guys, I think this is more than an event. You know, this is actually some form of movement. And essentially what Youth for Change is today. So it's a global youth advocacy organization that gets young people to write policy, but policy specifically on issues that affect them. So, again, the one thing we're currently doing at the moment is helping the Department of Education write the Right, the um, education, the the new sex education curriculum that's going to come in force in two thousand and nineteen, and the idea around that is because we've got lived experience of what it feels like to be in that classroom, where where where, you know the things that we're hearing on the playground are completely opposite to the sort of science lesson that you get uh, about sex education um, um, in in school, and so so you know we've got real views. And actually, our ideas are our lived experiences, are our expertise, that's, that, that's sort of our tagline, which is the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, young people actually have a voice and actually have ideas, which possibly can change the world and not oftentimes, a lot of the spaces or, or social policy is is filled with people who who aren't going to be here for, for too long to be able to <laughs> actually go for that. So yeah, that's, that's sort of what youth for change is in an in, in a nutshell.
1: Wow, so, so I'm just looking here through through some of the other stuff you've done, and uh, we could spend a half an hour podcasting <laughs> one of these things, right? So uh, just quickly running through, spending five years on the board of UNICEF, I mean, yeah. um, you've got to hang out with the Queen, which, I mean, all sorts of questions there, come, <laughs> uh, including did you manage to create your own secret handshake? But um, uh, So Harry, uh, you've met the Queen, done all of that, brilliant, you're now working with Brexit, uh, tell us about some of the tensions uh, that that involves
2: yeah I think you know I, I wanted to get my hands dirty in a lot of senses you know i I was working in government before and um and I you know I got, got to a stage where I was like okay, great I need to move jobs what should I do and um and you know actually I think working on brexit for me has been has been tough because you know it's it's one of the probably the most contentious topics or and most uncertain times you know the government has since probably World War two and a lot of the um a lot of the rhetoric around it is really uh, political. And again, for someone who works in government, as, as much as as silly as it seems, uh, you know, we are apolitical. We are impartial in a lot of senses. And our job is to give the best advice. Um, and what was really interesting, especially being in the civil service and working on Brexit, is um, I guess just the, you know, the, the amount of expertise that you see um, in government is just unbelievable. And actually... Um, I guess some of the tensions for me have been, you know, well, you know, me being a young person, me being a millennial, um, you know, I didn't want Brexit to happen. But ultimately, you know, our, our political system or the way that, you know, democracy works, I think, you know, we've had to accept that, you know, this is what we've decided we want to do. And actually, uh, because of that, like, I wanted to get my hands dirty because I wanted to ensure that we got the best deal possible. In and within that. So I think that that's been a that's been a tension, actually, is working on something that you didn't necessarily want to happen. But, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately, you have to respect it. And then, and, and then actually give the best advice that you possibly can. Um, and, and ensure that, you know, this is good for us, um, in a lot mm-hmm. of senses, that I think, you know, it's, this isn't the government line at all whatsoever. But, you know, it, it's important for us anyway, that, like, you know, we, we make do with what we've been given as a result of democracy. So that, that that sort of that's been one of the tensions that I felt. And also, I mean, it, one, I mean, the other tension is the fact that it changes every single day, and you know, it's, you're in you're in live negotiations a lot of the time.
0: No, that's fascinating, Harry. I, I'm I'm really interested about what what motivated you to get into politics in the first yeah. place and to be a leader who influences other people. What what is it that kicks you out of bed? every morning yeah um, yeah no I get wants, it wants you to put your, your your neck on the line you know why not just have a quiet life
2: yeah um I mean you know I've, I've always sort of um and it's crazy because I'm doing you know a thousand and one things but you know I, I don't know like I, I, I was talking to my fiance the other day and she was talking about the fact that you know we're, everyone has a view of life in a lot of senses everyone has a a, uh, a mantra that they go by so life's a party life's mm-hmm. a test, life's a, you know, like, like all of these things. And I, I don't know, mm-hmm. I think life is to be enjoyed. um, And and for me to enjoy it and to live it, so enjoy it and to live it to its to, to fullest. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to just sort of, you know, live a comfortable life. And I don't think, you know, and I believe God doesn't call us to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to get involved in things like politics. It's important for us to get involved in, you know, business, media, all of these places where, you know, mm-hmm um where, where where it's influence isn't it and i think um and i think Absolutely. that's really important for, yeah. for us yeah. to actually take up things and actually go
0: yeah And what, what do you enjoy most about leadership i mean what, what do you enjoy most about the work that you do um
2: i guess I, well i guess i guess i enjoy seeing a change um and again you know like you know you mentioned the sort of queens young leader award that i got and you know in a lot of senses you know that hundred that award you know I could have worked for you know as hard for 25 years and i wouldn't have um you know and and, and um i i would never have got to that stage but that has been such a god movement and moment and but but you know i i put in the work you know it was it, it like you know I, I i've been involved in this sort of Area for, for ten years ever since I was fifteen. So there were so many different. Um, I, I guess what really motivates me is just seeing change. Um, and again, is that it, finding the things that frustrate me. I think um, is where I get my passion and is where I get my my zeal in a lot of yeah. senses. And you know, like as you know, especially me, like I'm originally from Zimbabwe. So I, mm-hmm. I see how politics can either you know make make a make a country the the best it possibly can be, or actually go completely the other way. So, especially for me,
0: yeah. I'm fascinated by, you know, you talk about frustration and anger, you know, shaping you, Uh, for many young people, frustration and anger turns into knife crime, turns into drugs, Mm -hmm. turns into Mm -hmm. um, a downward spiral. Yeah, What's made the difference for you in enabling yeah. that frustration and anger to turn into something so positive,
2: I think. Um, I mean, I think there's a number of things. Um, my relationship with God is obviously centre in and within mm. that because uh, you know I had access to all of that uh, when I was at, uh, at school, and you know, so I think my my, my faith, uh, definitely, and um, my my relationship with God, and I also mm-hmm. think sports as well. So um so when i was um so, so when i when i was in my school i i played basketball and that was my central focus i wanted to be kobe Bryant. that was it you know mm-hmm. there wasn't anything else that i wanted to be uh, but i also think my you know my church and, and i don't say that lightly i think you know the fact that i had people around me who said you know who said the complete opposite to what society said is as a young black man like you know you know you're already put into sort of three boxes and you're either you either go down the yeah i'm gonna be a rapper or I'm going to be an, an athlete or, or, or uh, go down the football route, or I'm going to go down the criminal justice system. And I actually had a community around me that said I can do whatever I want. And so, you know, mm. and, and and that was because I was chosen by God. That's because, you know, mm. God has a plan for me. All of these different things, all these mantras that we mm. uh, use and say, I think really helped uh, me get to where, like me yeah me get to where i wanted to get to um mm-hmm. and and also i mean lastly and obviously you know a really important part of my mom um i think mm-hmm. you know like like parenting and and, and the way that mm-hmm. she you know and, and essentially the way that she raised me to be grateful for everything i've, I've been given you know even if it's not that much uh, was mm-hmm. was central to that central mm-hmm. to that um but but you know i think especially you know speaking about young people in particular i think that the frustration now comes because, you know, and, and, and all of that is a a, a pitch for love. Like it, it is a, it, 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 a lot of it is attention and, you know, a lot of it is is, is poverty and money focused um, and, and young people just wanting to, wanting to have what other young people have or like, and that, and a, lot, a large part of that is acceptance, a large part mm-hmm. of it. And, mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to have that in my church. Um, I was lucky enough to have that acceptance, that family mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that at home, it's quite hard yeah. for for you to for you to find that anywhere else. Yeah.
0: Now that's great. Now, um, uh, the millennial generation has been um, written about probably more than any other generation. <laughs> and, Definitely. Uh, often, often negatively. So yeah. uh, words like lazy, slacker, narcissistic uh, yeah. are usually the ones that, 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 that um, come out of the pen of a journalist. As you've worked with so many young people in multiple different countries around the, uh, around the world, Africa, Asia, uh, UK, uh, what do you see is the unique contribution that this generation is, is bringing, which is going to uh, make the difference uh, yep. for a better society? What what gives you hope?
2: I mean, what gives me hope is that we don't, you know, we we aren't constrained by what society says uh, we need to do or we need to be. I think, I think, especially uh, we, we go on the unbeaten paths. If you see what I mean, I think, you know. Of course, there are still people who are going to be doctors, there are still people who are going to be um, uh, engineers, but, you know, Mm. I think we push the boundaries, we push the boundaries more than any other generation has. And whether that's Mm. because of the family values that we've got and the fact that actually I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a child up until the fact that I'm 30, it leaves us so much more room to actually impact society. I think we, we care so much more about the world. So whether that's, you know, the environment, whether that's gender-based uh, mm-hmm. activism, um, you know, and, and, and you know, cha- charities are now earning, you know, are, 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 the contributions toward charities have skyrocketed um, as a result of this 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 generation. So I think, you know, I I, I, and and you know, I'd go in the opposite to say that I think we're the most selfless. Uh, generations i think we have been able to show that through our charity runs through our really innovative technology that's it that has been able to sort of change lives um um and and again have the conversations about gender have the conversations about about people being prosecuted have the you know have the marches um about about racial abuse you know all of these different things um you know are being led by a young generation and then you have sort of across the world where you've got you know um, authoritative regimes, uh, which, which, again, you know, young people said, well, actually, you know, I don't want this. Um, you know, I, I, my voice is not being heard. And I think, you know, we, we sit outside the status quo, if I can put it that way. I think, I, I, I think we're, more, we're more likely to do that. And I think, actually, for change to come, that's what has to happen. You can't sort of go along with the status quo if you are, if, if, if essentially you're, you're wanting to change the world or change something.
0: Can you think of a story of one of the young people through Youth Global Change who you've met, yeah. um, who's um, stood up for an issue and, and, and as a result has seen significant change?
2: There's so many. <laughs> There's so many. Um, okay, so uh, I guess, you know, uh, okay, I'll, I'll talk about uh, a group of girls that I met. Um, um, they are um, part of something called Forward. Um, and in Bristol, in particular, there is a huge uh, Somali population. And, um, and, and so they're part of that Somali population there. And, um, and, and, you know, they, at about the age of 11 or 12, uh, heard about uh, female genital mutilation and, mm-hmm. you know, the effect that it has on their society. And, yeah. you know, they, they were outraged, to say the least. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and the fact that, you know, and then they would go home and they spoke to their mom about it and they found out, you know, and again, like through finding out that actually there were, there were people in their family who had had it happen to them mm-hmm. and they were completely outraged. And they decided to start this campaign. Essentially, this mm-hmm. campaign was, you know, focused on, okay, great, we need to make sure that no one in Bristol Um, is is subject to the you know is subject to that whatsoever and so you know and despite a huge amount of protests from from the Somali community actually decided to go about it and one of them in particular uh, wrote to Michael Gove um, um, who at the time was education minister and, and and wrote to him and said look Like, you know, I've heard about this. This is a complete outrage. We've got this huge amount of people in Bristol to actually sign the petition to say that each and every single uh, uh, you need to write a letter to each and every single uh, uh, school in the UK to make sure that Ofsted actually mock them on how they're performing against tackling FGM. And what was amazing about this is the boldness and the confidence to be able to do that. To, to you know, and, and, and to be able to, and you're talking about young people who are 13, 14 years old. Um, yeah. What is absolutely unbelievable, and he did it. And you know, Michael Gove wrote, wrote the letter, and now, Ofsted have an actual question that focuses on how are you ensuring um, that, that, that young girls in your school are not subject to female genital mutilation or early forced marriage. Yeah. So again, you know, that, that is another example of how someone has just come out of the mold and said, look, I don't like this. This is not OK. In previous generations, you know, they might have just said, OK, great. Oh, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. She took it upon herself to actually make that change and didn't worry about her age or her status or whether she's done her A-levels or not, because at that point she hadn't. And she, she actually went out and gone and done it. So that would be, I mean, there's so many, but, you know, that's, um, that's so inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, really inspiring. I think, Harry,
1: when you you mentioned boldness, I think that sums up an awful lot of what we've been speaking about, looking through your journey, looking at, I mean, how many people would look at uh, an opportunity to go and meet the prime minister and stuff like that at the GA and think, oh, how cool would that be? How many people would uh, think, how cool would it be? How good would it be if we founded a, a youth organization that, for against injustice, how cool would it be if I could get onto the board of UNICEF, how cool would it be if I could work in politics, um, to actually have the boldness, to have the audacity to think, I'm going to be the one that makes the change, I'm going to be the one that stands up, um, is just so, uh, so, so inspiring. So um, thanks for joining us today. We've got a couple of questions that we like to ask everybody who comes onto the yes, podcast. Yes, please. Um, uh, and one of those is, uh, what's the biggest tension that you live with within your leadership?
2: I think the, the biggest tension I live with within my leadership is actually, uh, w- w- essentially wanting to fulfill what, what my dreams are and, and, and where I want to go. Um, and it's always that sort of tension of, you know, am I good enough to actually do, um, to actually do what I've set up that I want to do. And, you know, it, it, it's hard because you sort of, you know, you have to sacrifice quite a lot, um, and you know, and, and 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 I don't want people to listen to this podcast to think, oh yeah, great, everything is lined up for him. You know, it, it, knowing how to deal with the rejections, like I constantly say, you know, I get so many no's, I get so many no's, I get so many emails mm-hmm. that say, well, 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 yeah, that's not that's not going to happen, or or actually, you're too young, or you know, like all of these different things. But it's the yeses that count. And actually, I think what what ends up happening is we disqualify ourselves before we even put ourselves in the running for things. Um, and, and so dealing with that, so dealing with, you know, people rejection and making sure that, you know, e- each time I get rejected, I get straight back up and I go again. Um, but yeah, I think, I, th- I think one of the tensions is, is, is essentially that question of, ah, oh, like, am I actually good enough to do this? And, you know, I've, mm-hmm. i I, I, bat- I battle with that all the time, but wow. I think, I, I think I just look back and think, okay, great. You know, I've got to this point. You know, uh, you know, th- there's so much more that I'm able that, that that I can do, and I just need to be resilient. I need to be able to get back up again.
0: Just to encourage you, Harry, I know many, many senior leaders at chief exec level and and above who are still asking themselves. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast coming back of a couple yeah. of
1: interviews we've had I think Seb Gray comes to mind who who asks that question as well have I got what it takes yeah. uh, and, yeah. and having that as a question that's yeah. the heart of every leader but um, but the second question we love to ask uh, to finish the podcast what's your greatest excitement and your greatest fear when it comes to leading
2: my greatest my greatest excitement is actually that I get to I guess hmm my greatest excitement is that I get to open the door for people who come after me, I think Mm -hmm. what I, you know, it'd be complete fail of of everything that I've done. Um, if, if I'm the only person to ever do it, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the only person to, you know, um, come out of the school that I came out of and actually achieve in the government sector, you know, I'm constantly mentorship and, you know, I I'm an open book and anyone in this podcast who wants to get involved in politics, if you're a young person, please let me know. Uh, because I think it's so important, especially for us, to not close the door behind us. Um, and my greatest fear, hmm, I guess, my greatest fear is is that I let, and I'm and I'm so conscious of this, and I and I make sure that this is not, you know, that I let the the um, accolade and the and the um, the positions get to my head, and you know, like um. Um, one of my friends has an amazing, uh, ch- like, uh, saying that he says to himself every day. He says, "I'll never let success get to my head, or failure to my heart." And I think mm-hmm. you know that is so powerful in the sense of you know, I would never let success get to my head, or, or mm-hmm. um, and I'll never let failure get to my heart. And I think that that's my greatest fear is you know, I get to the point where you know, I'm you know. I'm, you know, I'm really young and I'm doing something quite passionate about it. And actually, I lose myself in and within it. And I think the word of God grounds me so much. Um, and I think that's something that has been able to really um, hold me down in a lot of senses to say, actually, Harry, like a lot of this isn't you. And I always say, like, my story is way too crazy for me to even think that, yeah, great. It's because I'm talented or I'm smart. isn't honestly, you know. I, 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 as hard working as i am it doesn't amount to the, the level of i guess success in inverted commas mm-hmm. that that has happened and that's as a result of god like literally as a result of god so um yeah those are the two things i'd say
0: and and finally harry if you had one bit of advice for a 15 year old who's thinking about um getting involved in, in making a difference but make, maybe thinks that they don't have what it takes what would your advice be for them
2: Hmm. I guess my advice would be to them. Um, yeah, it's what I said earlier. I think my advice to them would be: you're gonna get a you're gonna get a hundred nos, but it's a yeses that count. And I think making sure that we don't disqualify ourselves for things um, before before we've even applied or before we've even thought, okay, great, am I good enough for this? And just being bold and actually going and saying, look, I know that I can't do X, Y, and Z, but you know, I I am worth it, and I'm actually good enough to do what you set me out to do so again the j8 project you know we weren't we there's so many things that disqualified us from that but we weren't going to let that 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 steal the opportunity from actually being there so i guess that and making sure that you deal with rejection and failure uh the right way like just just because one person has said that you're not good enough doesn't mean that that is the case and i think you know, oftentimes I think I think that, you know the one thing that we do is we're quite sensitive. So if something doesn't work, we just want to jump ship. And actually, if you know you're passionate about something, if you know that's what you want to do, continue to just knock on that door until it breaks. Like that, that's, and you know, and, and, and you might get tired, and you might need a break, but yeah. but generally, I think you know, making sure that we're resilient enough to be able to get up. From um, from some of the, failure, the failures that you know life comes with, and that's life. And I think once you realise there'll be some good times and there will obviously be some bad times. I think it's actually being able to take take all your experience and actually going, okay, great. You know what? Like, I it hasn't worked out this time, but I'm going to go again. And there's things that haven't worked out for me either, and I'm I'm going to continue to go, <laughs> um, and I'm not going to let that's that stop
0: me. That's great advice. Harry, thank you for saying yes to coming on the podcast. Oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. We really appreciate appreciate you joining us today and sharing part of your story. And I know people will be inspired um, to get involved in politics as a result. And we love what you're doing and uh, appreciate what you're doing and appreciate your time today. Harry Pinder, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Thanks
0: for listening. For more dedicated resources to equip emerging leaders, visit our new website millennial-leader.com and don't forget to catch up. And don't forget to catch up on the Forge Leadership podcast at forge-leadership-podcast.com.